0: Steve and Eric Leventhal are the creators of Internet FM. The last time I interviewed Steve was over 10 years ago. This is from a live stream that we did. So, Steve, it has been, I don't know, like over 10 years since I last talked to you. And you were kindly one of the early uh, people that let me, you know, interview you in early on in my in my uh, podcasting experience. But can you just explain what Internet FM is? Absolutely. Internet FM is a platform that includes mobile,
1: desktop, TV uh, set-top, web-based versions of our platform, which is basically uh, grouping a bunch of radio stations together, the prominent feature of which they're all independently owned radio stations by people like myself who either have broadcast experience or learned along the way and figured that they're, they could do a better job than your typical terrestrial radio station. So we've cobbled together 50, and these were all hand-selected, and they come across 10 different genres, whether it's rock, hard rock, oldies, jazz, blues, country, even an ambient chill station, as well as a station that does Broadway and movie soundtracks.
0: And uh, what is your broadcast experience?
1: Mine, I've been in this business for well over 30 years. I actually started in high school, believe it or not, when I was uh, working for a whopping $2.50 an hour, and then I decided to go to college and try something else. But really, I had a a love for the medium, so eventually I I came back to it and started my own broadcast company. Now, we were doing, in the old days, we bought time on a couple of stations in Chicago. Uh, One of them, if some of the people here in this area are familiar with WCBR, the Bear, where we did two hours of music and then we did sports overnight, And then as those opportunities changed, we reinvented ourselves and we did syndication. You know, you call it podcasting now, but back in the day, it was really syndication where we did sports program, a talk program, I've got a music program. And then about 10 years ago, sounds like about the same time that you got started as an early pioneer in podcasting, I created a radio station called Acid Flashback Radio. Because again, I felt that I could do a better job than uh, your typical program director, and without having the handcuffs of the FCC and licensing, and then having to sell a bunch of commercial inventory, I would put that together and create ostensibly, you know, what would be progressive rock, kind of like WNEW or WLS or people out west, if you're familiar with uh, KLOS or, or KSAN, and just do a real prog progressive anything goes, whether we're playing rock or blues or jazz or reggae or new wave, and do it in a way that I thought would be better, and uh, you know, I'll put it up against any radio station. Then in 2018, uh, my son came into the picture here, Eric, because he had a very, very good idea and one of what I call our aha moment of, uh, well, I'll let you explain. So Uh, I was living in Longmont, Colorado at the time,
2: and I would go every week on Thursdays to left hand brewing company that had a vinyl night, you know, got gotten into the whole vinyl revival scene. Um, I would bring a record, get a free beer, shmooze, talk music with people. He was visiting and he wanted to show his station to someone else at the bar. Um, and was having a going through a whole rigmarole process of pulling it up on the tablet, connecting to the Wi-Fi, going to the website, launching the player. It was a whole process. Um, and I basically said this is stupid and tedious This should just be an app push button get radio kind of looks at like, yeah we should make an app um and then the next day as we're road tripping out we decided you know it shouldn't just be our station we should also do handcrafted radio and radio free phoenix and all these other uh, you know stations that we have gotten to know the, the owners of you know they kind of had a similar um ethos you know like deep libraries and playing western art artists and this, you know, more professional presentation rather than just, it's a big dump of music on shuffle. Um, so we created the, you know, the first version of Internet of FM with just 15, 16 stations, not really a whole lot since grown to over 50, but we want to keep that list small so that our listeners know they're always getting uh, the
1: top, top shelf radio.
0: Okay, so how do you define top shelf radio? So-
1: well, the stations, our criterion are along the lines of, we like a deep library, We want somebody who preferably has broadcast experience. And then thirdly, uh, somebody who's using software because, you know, everybody thinks, well, I can just take a bunch of songs and put them out there and just put a random shuffle. And not everybody realizes there's a lot more that goes into programming a radio station, whether it's day parting, whether it's selecting the format or putting in the, what I call the radio elements, the liners, the celebrity endorsements. Top, top of the yeah, I do top of the hour even though I'm not required by FCC to do it because that's the way the radio works yeah it's it's kind it's hard to put into
2: exact words but if you listen to a station for an hour you'll get a sense of their personality um and we we generally go for stations that have these rich personalities as opposed to
1: again just this is a dump of music you know with not a lot of afterthought put into it and we talked we will literally talk with every station owner. Because we want to make sure that they're they're like-minded. We don't want them to be part of a, you know, iHeart or, or a terrestrial group. They really, we really prefer independent, independently owned stations. And when we sit down and explain what we're trying to do here, how we're trying to make this high quality, less is more, they all buy into it.
0: Well, what, what kind of stations are these broadcast stations or just internet
1: or what? Internet only, internet only. They're all over the world. I mean, we've got uh, Arizona, California, We've got Birmingham, South Carolina, uh, Indiana, Michigan, and then we've got uh, three stations in England, uh, nine in the Netherlands, and one in France. That is exciting. So, what is
0: their genre? Would you say?
1: Well, the, the, it, what? it predominantly runs uh, rock,
2: alternative, and in, and a little bit of indie. But again, we also cross over into uh, into you know backwards into oldies and jazz. Um, there's, you know, a couple of blue stations and, you know, and a couple of like more, you know, niche rock formats. So we've got a couple that are just jam, a couple that are just, just progressive rock, a couple that are just modern music
1: and then, you know, we also uh, have a dozen like country stations. And we learned something very interesting, you know, to me, a good station has a big library so that there's not a lot of repeats, but what I've learned two things about, about country music programming is one, there is almost no crossover between classic country, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, and uh, New Country, and all the, that, that they're, the audiences are literally mutually exclusive. So now we've got three country stations and then a couple more contemporary classic country st- type stations. Because I, I like our stations to have at least five thousand or six thousand different songs in the library. I have fifteen thousand at this point, and our biggest is over twenty. And then I'm talking to the country guy. He goes, "Well, I only have about two thousand songs." I'm like, "Is a?" And and then as I'm learning and explaining, that people want to hear these these artists over right. and over again. It just it just befuddles me because that's so uh, the antithesis of what I'm it's very to feel. It's a very different world. But the but aside from the the deep
2: library being you know excluded by the format. The personality and the dedication to the art is still there, and um, and as most importantly, no commercials whenever possible. Yeah, a couple of stations have to run it, but we try to to go for commercial free stations. And the platform itself also has zero ads, no pop ups, no banner ads, nothing. You know, dismiss this and then get to the product. It's right there. Um, you know, we d- we don't like ads, and so we didn't as consumers. So we did not want to ask. Our customers to to have to endure them just so that we could make the business work.
0: So, is it subscription based or how? Yeah. Does...
2: So, in, in turn, that means that we are relying on a
1: subscription model, which we have just launched. Yeah. So, we're, but we're basically asking for $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year. And that gets you all you can eat, 50 stations to choose from. And as we continue to add more stations or a few more genres, th- there's really almost something for everybody, you know, and it's really, this is our, our key word here is passion. It's really about passionate music fans and we're passionate yeah. music fans. So it's, it's sort of yeah this is not for somebody who turns
2: on the radio to hear their their, their favorite song or, the, or their top hits, you know whatever the top 40th pop is right now. This is for people who turn on the radio because they they want to hear
1: something new and they trust the stations they like to give it to them. And we're all about it. And, you know, again, so we have the platform and I also, I have Acid Flashback Radio as the flagship station is we're really into new music discovery. And with, with Eric's help, who's been just instrumental in really digging down and finding new artists that, that still fit the format, they would have fit, fit perfectly in the 60s or 70s because of the style of music and, and their and their presentation. But so we're adding them all the time. A like King Gizzard, Frankie and the Witch Fingers, Pearl the Oysters, Newt Party, White Denim. Um um The Baths. The baths. And so these are these are, you know, if you're sitting here thinking, well, classic
0: rock, but
1: it fits, which is which yeah. is really amazing. This
0: Well is it, it is yeah. it from back then? Are you talking about people there were no, no to- modern music. These all modern, are all you know, these are if these
2: if these artists released their music in nineteen seventy-five, they would have gotten on on, you know, progressive radio, on on uh, you know, alter- uh, alternative or album oriented radio. Um but that format doesn't really exist on the terrestrial band anymore. So if you want to find these artists, you have to basically find them via word of mouth. You have to join internet forums or like go diving on YouTube. You know, YouTube plunking can be dangerous. Um, so we're, we're trying to, to bill ourselves as, you know, the bringing, bringing these new artists who should be on the radio onto the radio. You know, we, cool. we want to be the place you come to to get new music that fits along with that
1: old classic rock. So right, so exactly. So we, we could see you know Jimmy Hendrix, Jefferson Airplane, King Gizzard, no problem.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you know, remember? I'm sure you remember this, do you Remember when college radio used to break bands? I mean, they used to play a lot of alternative stuff. So what about college radio? What do you think of it now? Or either of you? Same with Eric. Eric, it's, did you go to college? I, mean,
2: I I went to college. I didn't listen to to college radio. I mean, I also I went to the University of Southern California. So Los Angeles is kind of a Big market as it is, it's not like it's a college town where there's just a local
1: radio station.
0: Because um, I remember when I was growing up, I'm sure of oh, Steve, I forgot, are you from Chicago?
1: No, I'm from North Carolina. So WXYC was the college radio station in Chapel Hill. Oh. Uh, and they, but they, yeah, they were the ones that were playing REM yeah. and a lot of those uh, early 80s bands.
0: Yeah, because um, what I remember is, uh, you know, Northwestern. Okay. So they still have a radio station here in, here in, in Evanston. And um they played a lot of new music and new bands and they broke foreign bands and like, you know, you two went on there and early craft work was on stations like that, even in Ohio, you know what I mean? And that's where you went for cutting edge. Even early rap. And I'm talking early days of rap, I'm talking about hip hop. Um, they had a whole thing going on. So I guess now it is only online. I'm sure there are some stations out there still breaking band. Does Lake Forest Station still broadcast? Yeah, so there's WMXM
1: up here in Lake Forest. I actually did, I spent some time there while before Internet FM started. But yeah, it it really is going to depend on who the program director is. I mean, they have so much more to choose from. So I'm sure in in college radio, you're going to hear this humongous variety just depending upon who's, was sitting behind the board that day. Yeah. I think again part of the issue is that college kids nowadays get their music online. Yeah. You
0: well know. is it now is it expensive to have a music radio online? The I-
1: single biggest expense is royalties. Because you have to pay the 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 writers. <laughs> yeah, Ask to be my CSAC. So that's about uh 1200 combine like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars
2: a year minimum. Um we're not. We're not going to see that go up until we start getting significant revenues. Uh, but the lar- the largest single portion is from Sound Exchange, which is performances, and that one does scale very linearly with number of listeners.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I mean, I I empathize with artists that are going like, we're not getting paid enough. And as a broadcaster, I got to tell you, it's a real sore spot because what we're paying, it doesn't seem like a lot. It's 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 like two tenths of a cent per performance. But it adds up really quickly. We only have a few thousand listeners yeah. every month, and yet we always get pretty close to the. It's a thousand dollar minimum for Sound Exchange because you know you, we we have to since we're public facing. You know we we have to go out there and and make those payments and the minimum. Yeah. But like Eric says, it scales almost linearly. So if you imagine somebody like WDRV here in Chicago or XRT, if they had to pay Sound Exchange, they're exempt. Th- those would run probably in the millions. That's why you see a company like X, like um, like Spotify. I mean, I looked at their last quarter. I'm, I geek out on uh, on income statements. So in their last quarter, they had 5 billion euro in revenue and they lost. And they lost a half a billion dollar, half a billion euro uh, because their royalties, I think, is 70% of their cost. It's just, you know, and that there's no easy solution because artists need to get paid. But radio stations need to be able to make a living. Well, yeah, the I
2: mean the the where the rub comes, and not to try to get too ranty about it, is that in between Spotify paying out the performance and the artist collecting money, you know, if they have a record deal or a record label, they they're, they're going to take some off the top of that. So unless they're you know completely independently published artist, some of that money goes to pay the record. So if it's a million streams at that rate, you then it's two thousand dollars payout. But if the artist sees all two thousand dollars of it, that's rare.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that. Um, well, first of all, what is SoundExchange? Uh, it's it's basically
1: a um sound exchange what uh, was set up so the government in uh, again we're getting I, into the
2: podcast I, I think this is in the wake of the DMCA they basically set up a way for anybody who streams music online to pay royalties the same you know in, in a similar way that a radio station would um but instead of instead of saying well we we kind of had this many listeners and this is what we played instead the technology lets us say okay we played. You know, once in a lifetime by Talking Heads, and there were forty people listening. So we pay forty times the rate uh, of the of the per performance to Sound Exchange, and then we also send them a receipt at the end of the month with everything we played. And they'll say, "Oh, yeah, forty people heard Once in a Lifetime, so here's you know you know some pennies that go to the estate of Talking Heads and David Byrne and all that."
1: Yeah, and see, this is something. In some ways, it's a little outdated because this was passed probably in the 1990s when Napster was out there. So, there are a lot of these rules. In some ways, they've become very archaic. But basically, Congress set up what's called the Copyright Royalty Board. And every five years, they hold a trial, which is a three-judge panel, and they basically set the rate. So, what happens is if you're a broadcaster, you got to go hire a lawyer, get in there, and go through the process. And it's insanely expensive. There's there's really no... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, well, let's let's try to off-ramp from this, from
2: this <laughs> rant here, but... Basically, Sound Exchange is a whole boondoggle of, of red tape that supposedly helps get some money to artists. But unless unless you're a, a huge household name, it's only getting you, uh, you know, a small portion of your income and you're going to be making a lot more money off of touring, ticket sales and merch.
1: But I yeah. Gonna
0: say, yeah, I was going to say, you know, you did mention, um, you know, not making much money and the record companies take some money from, yeah you know, when somebody creates an album. And it reminds me of I don't know if you ever read the book, and I forgot the name of it, but it's written by somebody from Semisonic, the group. Do you remember? You know, the closing time is their most famous song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Semisonic. Yeah, and he wrote a book, and I forgot his name, but anyway, and he was talking about how they would they would record an album, and then the record company would take a certain amount off, like they oh well you know we did this for you, so they just cut into their profits. So they said basically the way to make money is for groups to um, tour. And play yeah. live shows. Oh yeah, it's the, It's the same. It's the same stuff as like Hollywood accounting. Oh, like you know, we
2: the money the the the, the, mo- the budget for the movie was this much. Oh, but you also ordered all this this catered lunch. Oh, and we have to market it. No, we have to do all this kind of stuff. So essentially, if an artist actually makes money from a record, it's only after it sold a whole bunch, or if they're famous enough and 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 like well known enough that they can get more favorable terms on the record deal. Most artists, you know, they want the deal so they can get their music out there so they can tour before a larger audience. Um, It's changed a lot now because the tools required to make music are a lot more available. Um, So there's a lot more people publishing on smaller indie labels who are just happy to distribute the music and not necessarily in, you know, they want to make money, but they're not looking to make, you know, fortune 500 money. Um, and And there's also a lot of artists
1: I follow that like publish stuff independently. But also, if you think about the dynamic of how this business, the business model going forward is going to be, if you're an artist and you know, you're know you on Spotify, or whatever, Spotify charges a flat fee. So it doesn't matter if you listen uh, two hours a day, two hours a week, or two hours a month, Spotify still gets their 10, 12, $15. What happens is if you're like a huge heavy user and, you, and you're in the car all day and you're listening to five, six, seven hours a day. Spotify technically is probably going to lose money on you, and the, the the again the problem for artists is is that I see the business going forward is you're going to almost literally give your music away, and and like Eric said, the way that that artists are going to make money in the future is going on tour, selling merchandise, and like him, he's a big vinyl collector, is getting people to buy your uh, t-shirts and vinyl on site.
0: Yeah, and um, Eric, I'm interested because you know vinyl was around, of course, when I was younger. What is the attraction to you and other people? I think for I, I think in, for some, it's having a physical product. So in an age where everything
2: is, you know, we, we rent all our music, we rent all our movies. You know, hey, Netflix no longer has my favorite show, but I don't have, I, I didn't buy it on DVD. I don't own it. I can never see it again. You know, they want to be able to have a physical thing with their music so that, you know, at the end of the world or at least if Spotify folds and goes under they still have their music. Some of it, I think, is like the physical ritual of you know take out the record, put it on, dust it off, turn on the stereo. There's like you invest time into the listening, so you want to to get this more high quality thing. Um, some of it, I think, is just people like collecting things. You know, I, I I know people who have like collect like pop like you know vinyl pop figurines or um, you know like posters or. Or trading cards or anything. So it's a collecting thing. And then some of it is legit. I like this artist, I want to support them. I'll throw money at them and I'll take a vinyl in exchange.
1: You know? It's interesting because one when I was a kid, uh, you know, you couldn't afford to go out and buy every single record out there. So somebody would say, Okay, I'm gonna go get the new Led Zeppelin album, and then that afternoon we'd all go over to their house and we would listen to I remember listening to physical graffiti for the first time. And, you know, now with this online world, you don't really have that same experience, but uh, I do notice, and I just read an article, I know it was New York Times or Washington Post about people are collecting CDs, even if they don't have CD players in their cars, because they just like the idea of collecting, which I, I, <laughs> I find that kind of amusing, but I never sold mine, yeah. so I still have a huge collection.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was asking, you know, why vinyl instead of CDs? Um
1: well for some people the vinyl actually has a better sound. The, the, the it's so compressed on on a CD that I think when you put a vinyl and you know, it seems you have got a turntable, an amp, it's a Yeah, you need, you need a lot of you need you know an investment
2: in the gear, but I think people enjoy the analog. Uh the analog experience. Also also they look cool. Uh the not only has it been a resurgence in vinyl as a technology, but like the disc itself has art to it, and you know it, it'll have you know. It's got a back art. It's got a gatefold. It's got you know sometimes a booklet. So I think the the idea that it's it's more than just the song itself, but there's all these other physical components. You know, it's it people people get enjoyment out of it. um He's a King Gizzard fan here, and
1: he's literally got every album except one or two. Yeah, missing one. I'm missing one album
0: because if I had oh, to I'm give not... it to you, I mean, I, I have a I have a turntable and I vinyl, but I gave some away already, so. But now okay what I'm wondering is do you, know, do you know when this whole vinyl resurgence started because of course for a while it went down um when it was of Montreal putting out their stuff well some of it was well I
1: think also Jack Black, um, Jack White with uh, third man records they started pressing records and then they also started doing one it was uh, unique things and then record store day I think it was it's a just an interesting confluence of events that that brought it out and then all of a sudden touring bands, Started pressing their own vinyl, and they make with because now you can make the splash
0: patterns and all these. Yeah, you know, I just want to have one. I'm gonna grab a couple. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Oh, that's true because yeah, some bands put out these like sparkle-looking ones or something. They're special editions, and even people in Europe want to get them.
1: Well, and when I was uh, when I was a kid, I loved the fact that you know not only that you had the vinyl, the, the gatefold with the lyrics, but also that band like Chicago used to put posters in all their albums. So it was not just get the album, but oh, well, let's see what the poster looks like. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's, it's to me it's so hard to explain because vinyl is, is the most limiting one. You got to get up, you got to physically go and change the record over. You can only get about 20 minutes a side, uh, but uh, I, I find it fascinating. I, I stopped buying it and I basically told Eric, I said, whenever I got it's yours. Yeah, that's gonna. nice. Don't, don't buy anything that I already have because then someday it'll be his.
0: Yeah. Now, when I've met, interviewed you and even met you offline, so I think I met you at Marty's many years ago, and I think that's how we connected. So I can interview you because um, you're friends with Marty, right?
1: Marty Zivin, right? Well, he was, you know, he, he's he was sort of like my sensei. He's the one who really got me into this the streaming streaming radio because he had all you, the you cool discs. yeah he he had all this stuff left over from WCBR, and he's like, yeah, I've got. Uh, he was streaming online and he had a LP, a low power FM, that he was broadcasting in um, Hoffman Estates, Arlington Heights and all that. And and I'm, I went and I, I, he showed me his whole operation. I said, you can do all this and it goes online. I'm like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. So That's he got cool. started. All credit goes to Marty for this.
0: But I mean, how's it been? Because like I said, I talked to you 10 years ago, you and I basically started around the same time with digital stuff. I mean, how have you been able to keep it going for so many years?
1: Well, I mean, there've been there were some lean years there for a while. Uh, I did anything I could to keep it going. You know, doing some other outside part-time work uh, where I could. Uh, I, in some ways, I had to wait for the technology to catch up to what was my vision, and that obviously has picked up a lot in the last five or six years. That makes some of this possible. Mm-hmm.
2: We've, we've had some some amount of, you know, listener support, people who donate occasionally. So we're, again, we're, we're hoping that we can get the same same kind of spirit, but instead of just begging for money, now it's, you know, we have a subscription we can offer and cool service. We can do in exchange. And-
1: yeah, because nobody wants oh, wow. to sit there and have once, uh, twice a year, three times a year. We figured, okay, you know, we, we just, like you said, we don't want to do ads. I find ads are annoying. Ads are one of the reasons I don't listen to terrestrial radio anymore. And yeah, because think about it. Uh, you go to some of these stations, especially the big ones, iHeart whatever, and you're going to have a five minute break at about 15 after and 15 quarter till the top of the hour, and that's a that's ten commercials each time. I mean, I feel bad for the advertisers that are sitting in the middle of that. Who's going to listen to that? We're a society of bun pushers. You hear commercials nine times out of ten, unless you're in the middle of something and it's just on in the background. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna change the station.
0: Yeah. But I mean, also, doesn't Spotify have commercials too? I mean, online pl- online uh, outlets also have commercials.
1: Well, it is.
2: so Spotify and Pandora and it all, they have ads if you do not pay a subscription. And I am i use Spotify enough that I can justify the cost of the subscription. Mm-hmm. I don't get ads during music, especially since I'm, a, I'm an album kind of guy. If I want to listen to a whole album, I don't want to get an ad and then fiddle, middle of the record, especially if it's like, the kind of album where the songs flow from one to the next.
0: That's really funny because you know if you look at I read books about um, you know music history and broadcast history and they definitely talk about the downfall of vinyl and I lived through the downfall of vinyl and people used to think it was this crazy archaic thing and now it's come up and now you're almost hip you know listening to it or you know using it.
1: The downfall of vinyl was was probably created by the CD because now all of a sudden you can take all that information. Put it on a on a single little disc that's uh, lighter, more portable, takes up less space, and then you can jump from song to song without having to walk over to the turntable and and move the needle. They are also cheaper.
0: Yeah, that's true. And and they sounded really crisp. I mean, back then it was really revolutionary to listen to crisp sounding music.
1: But I got to tell you, I went to a talk by Brian Eno once. Yeah, he gave a he gave a speech. Wow. Um, I think he was at the Park West, and he was basically going through this whole scenario where they were mastering CDs, and I don't remember the exact way he described it, but he was aghast at the fact that they were taking the high end, the low end, and the way they were processing the sound, and it just sounded like it just, you know, it was like nails on a chalkboard to him, and and I would agree that the sound on a CDs, even some of the digital digitals, is just still not as good as just, even with the pops and the clicks, there's nothing like that sound, that full- range of sound you get with vinyl so i'd also say the
2: biggest advantage that cds and cassettes had over vinyl was portability you could listen to it in the car you could carry it around in a, in a walkman but with streaming you can still do that now anyway and you don't and you don't have to actually carry the disc with you to listen to what you want you can download it all in mp3 format uh which is essentially the same as you know what, what the cds were so the so vinyl is coming back because it's analog yeah. Yeah, you know, it it you can't you can't get that on CD. You can't get it on CD.
1: And ironically, even though in, uh, adjusted for inflation the price is the same, it's just so hard for me to wrap my head around $25 or $30 for an album when I remember in my teenage years albums were 4.99, maybe 5.99 and a double album might have been 6.99.
0: Right, but also a lot of people were buying them so they can sell them cheaper. Because especially if you're going to buy those pretty ones like you showed, Eric, then it's going to be more. When cheaper. you when you adjust it for inflation, the price is the
1: same. Yeah. I just mentally, I just can't wrap my head around $30 for Sgt. Pepper's when I paid $5 for it back in the day.
0: Right. Okay, now, when you're talking about the mix and everything or, you know, crafting the the, the uh, playlist, I think about Radio Paradise. Do you know about them?
1: Oh, yeah. Radio Paradise, Radio Paradise is the number one independent radio station and they are we're we're proud to have them on Internet FM.
0: Wow, they are amazing. Um, they were some one of the early digital based radio stations. I think they came from public radio or something, and they really mix all the new um, obscure mainstream. So, I mean, I think everybody should subscribe to you just for that reason, because if you have them and a whole other stations, a whole bunch of other stations, then that's a really good value. And what is he doing? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I, know Bill, I know Bill Goldsmith who runs Radio Paradise. Uh, we've chatted from time to time, and um, and uh, he he does a great job. I mean, he's just doing it all by himself, and he um, he puts on a puts out a really good product. Another station, if you like Radio Paradise, it's called it's called Radio Free Phoenix, and it was started by a bunch of guys who did underground radio in Phoenix, Arizona, back in the seventies and eighties. And I mean, this, it's the same story. Every one of these guys will, will tell you the same story, which is um, I, I worked for a radio station. I got fired by the radio station when the corporate suits took over. I think I could do a better job than that radio station and their product is great. So I've been out to see them. They're in Globe, Arizona, which is, I don't know, about 50 miles west of Phoenix. And um, they, they do a great job. They have a whole bunch of presenters. Again, this, uh a guy named Andy Olson Cobbled a bunch of his friends who used to be DJs, and he built this. He built this radio station. He's got about eighteen or nineteen thousand songs, so you know you're going to get a pretty good variety. And he does that same thing where he mixes the old and the new.
0: And well, you know, you were talking earlier about you know um, places that have small playlists and people want to hear the same song. Do you also find that your listeners want to hear? a repeat of the song or do they really want a lot of different choices? I mean, in you know, number one number one compliment is the breadth and depth. Yes. We'll
2: often get a, a, an email that says, I haven't heard X, Y, Z in, you know, 20 years. Thank you for playing that, you know, or, or often they'll, they'll request a song that they have yet to hear on our platform and, you know, we'll have to add it in.
1: Yeah. And so I, um, I I enjoy that, and and it, part of it is you know, I don't want to play Stairway to Heaven. I don't want to play Sweet Home Alabama. Now, uh, covers of, of of Led Zeppelin, uh, covers or live versions of, of any Leonard Skinner, that's all good. I, I purposely actually take those out of the programming. So you know, if you if you talk about like Jimi Hendrix, for example, you're going to hear about half a dozen songs on on, ra- on radio. I took literally every one of this. Um, every every one of the studio albums, all these extra things. I have 130 different Jimi Hendrix songs in our library, and I guarantee you, there's no very few stations, if any, that have that that sort of breadth and depth.
0: Right, because they do consumer testing, and they're going with yeah you know, the common denominator, basically.
1: Yeah, and I don't see our listeners, the kind of person who yeah. likes to get paid to be in a focus group. Well, they they
2: want you know the, the, those people who listen to traditional radio. They want to turn on the radio and, and hear a song that they know that they love, and if they they turn on the radio and they hear something they have not heard before, or that they're tired of, whatever or they don't want to hear. You know, where where is my stairway to heaven? Where is my, you know, where where, where is my sweet home Alabama? They will turn the station to try to find that song. Um, our listeners the opposite way around.
1: They'll turn on the station, hear something they've never heard before, and go, what is this? Yeah, and and that's see that's the thing is that I tell people, listen, the, the big corporate radio stations, they're not in the music business, they're in the advertising business and music is the hook. They know that if they play this, you know, 5 or 600 rotation of songs that were all smash hits, that if somebody catches it, they'll they'll listen and then all they're trying to do is get them to the commercial break so that they can play ads for them. And, you know, so they're they're people listening in 15-minute increments. Well, if you go and look at our numbers, our average listener probably listens for hour, hour and a half, you know, and for every person who tunes in for 10 minutes, there's somebody who's been listening for four hours. Now, would you would
0: kill for that kind of loyalty. Yeah. Now, when you were working in broadcast radio, what did you enjoy about it? Steve? You... Well, this was uh, late 70s. Ironically,
1: uh, about a month or two after I started, WKRP in Cincinnati came on the air. So local <laughs> newspaper came. And they did a parallel between people who worked at our station and and uh, some of the characters on WKRP. So I, I remember that, well, I had a great program director. Um, you know, this was the days when you did all kinds of live remotes. And then all these companies, well, restaurant would just come by and bring, you know, a dozen, you know, barbecue chicken sandwiches for everybody at the station. So you had a lot of these neat little perks, but I was making $2.50 an hour so. There was a downside to all that, and as you can tell, I have a uh, you know uh, I have a, a, a face for radio and a voice for the printed page. So I knew I was not going to be successful in the long term. Were you on the air? Yes, I was on the air. Okay. I worked. Uh, I worked 20 hours a week, so I worked one or two weekend shifts. That was a daytime station. So as uh, and I started uh, late in December. So as the year went on, their uh, time off the air. They would grow off the at 6 and then 6.15 and then 6.30. So once they started getting to 6.30, I had a half an hour show. And then it went to 7. I had an hour show. So I was doing that five days a week. Um, and then after I graduated high school, I quit.
0: Okay. Well, are you guys ever live or how do you guys do it for your, yeah, your you online?
1: So once a week, he'll do live in the
2: studio where he'll, you know instead of just letting the software mostly run, Kind of on its own, he'll go and he'll he'll very hand, very manually hand tweak the sets um, and try to focus on like specific artists. Like if there's someone whose birthday was in the past week, he'll do a birthday salute, play a couple songs of them. Uh, we'll try to you know use that time to slot in some new music, um, and then it's not strictly live. But every Saturday, I'll do a you know a focus on psychedelic rock, which is you know a, a newly you know resurgent format and try to kind of show the connection between the stuff from the late 60s and the stuff in modern times. So oh, these guys were influenced by this or this is a similar style and to try to introduce old listeners to new music.
1: I could pre-record my show, but at the same time, sometimes it's just fun to sit there and and be like the old days because I can make changes on the fly. Sometimes requests come in. Sometimes I'll see a couple songs are in the rotation and think, "Well, you know what? This would be a better choice." So when you can make changes on the fly, it's a lot and a lot of that comes from the fact that that's the way we used to do it in the old days. The only difference is I don't have to walk into the record library, go pull a bunch of vinyl and cue it up. It's all it's all on the computer. But, you know, the and the thing that let's say the difference between somebody just putting a bunch of songs in and what we're doing here is that is that I've built an algorithm of how I want each hour of the day to sound. So, on Acid Flashback, it sounds very different in the morning where it's light, it's trippy, you got your James Taylor, your Crosby Stills and Nash then, as it morphs into the afternoon, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Smashing Pumpkins, Jimi Hendrix, that kind of stuff. And then late at night, it's anything goes. Yeah. Yeah. You want to play yeah. Songs? yeah, we play all the weird stuff. We play that's when we bust
2: out, you know, the the Frank Zappa or like the you know like the King Crimson, Lark's Tongue and Aspic, all the weird experimental stuff. Or
1: even of Montreal because they've got some pretty out there songs that are eight, nine, 10, 12 minutes long. Steve Wilson, for instance, Porcupine Treat, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, you know, nobody can play yeah. that during the day. I don't even. I don't yeah, also really or play that. like Echoes or Suburbs Ready or Thick as a Brick or a couple of Grateful Dead songs that that naturally go together and like you know Scarlet Begonias, Fire on the Mountain, Help, so Do you ever
0: go to the art? Do you ever go to the Internet Archive to get Grateful Dead stuff or do you ever listen to that? You know how a lot of people I've got have access to... I've used Archive.org. occasionally. If, if I'm looking,
2: so much of my uh, my day job, my boss is a huge Deadhead, so I'll. Every once a week, I'll put it on a live dead show. And if there's something in particular we're looking for, often I'll have to go find it on Archive.
1: Yeah, Archive, you have to download it song by song if you want the high quality stuff. But I'm tapped into that whole network. So I've got just so much of it. Um, Spotify is also a great source for music. And and you know, I always tell people, we go, well, like, well, why should I listen to you if I can listen to Spotify? And I love to say, you can listen to both. If you hear something on our station that you really like it, maybe you heard something from... Jefferson Airplane, like from bathing uh, after bathing at Baxter's, which is not one of their most popular albums, but is an absolute excellent album. And you go, wow, I want to go and do a deep dive. Fine, go go, fire up your Spotify and go listen to that album. I got no problem with that. I think that uh, we're, we very symbiotically can coexist with yeah. uh, Spotify. we yeah.
0: How are you different from Spotify and Pandora? All right. So yeah, so um, Spotify
2: is uh, and especially Pandora they'll they'll give you what what they think you want to hear but it's still very algorithmically driven which means it's going to always give you like the top hits by an artist and it'll stay very narrowly focused if you ask for you know heavy alternative it's going to keep giving you more of the same if you ask for you know like vocalist big band jazz or whatever you're going to keep getting more of the same it doesn't it doesn't necessarily explore well for you and it's not good at digging deep um, and eventually, it'll it'll just get repetitive. It'll start playing the same stuff over and over. Um, you know, we do mix it up. The way our presentation works, is that we're able to to play a lot deeper. Um, you can still do that on Spotify and Pandora, but you have to manually do it. And as someone who has built a lot of very large playlists, it takes a lot of work. Uh, so if you're somebody who wants to find new music, wants to hear new stuff, um, you either have to do it all the legwork yourself or come find us and we'll play you some cool stuff you've never heard before. And then from there on, that, that, that can be the launching point. You know, uh, hey, I only knew this one Little Feet song, but here's this other one that I just heard on Acid flashback and it sounds really cool. I'm going to go listen to the whole album that it's from. Whereas, you know, again, Pandora, you can't really do that on iHeart. You definitely can't do that on Spotify. You can, but you had to get recommended it and Spotify doesn't do that very well.
1: Yeah, let's say you're a listener of Serious SiriusXM. Maybe you like Margaritaville. Yeah, you know, if you start listening to it day in and day out, you're gonna notice it gets pretty repetitive quite fast. And when I have 15,000 songs in the library, I program what, what I call my B cuts, which are pretty good songs, but those will still only air roughly once a week. Then I have the deeper, the real deeper cuts. I have so many of them, they'll only air once a month. So the chances of you saying like, this is getting repetitive uh, is very, very low. You're listening to the radio girl podcast with Margaret Larkin.
0: And thanks to Jeff Davis, who's at jeffdavis.com and you can subscribe to my live streams at my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Margaret Larkin. And I'm still podcasting for the INBA at INBA.net. Now, have you heard of AccuRadio? radio? That's somebody else. So John Guerin, I interviewed him many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. John Guerin
1: and, um, yeah, and, and uh, absolutely. Yeah. So they've built a very specialized network. So they've got um very special. he said I think it's like twenty or thirty Beatles channels, really. Yeah. Uh, Still radio. I only need one. Yeah. Kurt Anson Yeah, is is the uh, owner of AccuRadio. And uh they've built a pretty sizable but very vast genre with a whole lot of genres and very you know, 90s and 80s and maybe, you know, hard 90s and soft 90s and
0: pop is, you know, it, it's, it's, it's fine. It's a big playground. You know, we can all play in it. Right. Yeah. And also I was going to say, you know, um, you mentioned Beatles. What do you guys consider oldies? Cause you said oldies like Eric, what's oldies to you? Um, I'd say anything
2: pre I'd say like the Beatles and like Bob Dylan kind of marks the, is the demarcation lines for arbitrary. That's my demarcation line between like the old way of music and the new way. Um, so oldies would, would be more like in the
1: Buddy Holly era, um,
2: what else would be on there?
1: Well, I look at oldies and I go basically solid gold, right? <laughs> if it's anything that would have been in the billboard hot 100 or even the billboard top 10 throughout the year, you know, those are going to be your, your golden oldies because of the, you know, there's seventies and eighties oldies. Yeah, there, there is. Um,
2: i guess i guess for me it's sort of it's the difference between when when you know the singer it's this the singer songwriter era is is messed up. so like when you have have all the people who were who were hot performers like elvis but they never wrote a single original tune it was all done by songwriters who you would go into the woodshed and bang out you know 20 20 songs on the weekend and maybe two of them would be hits but like that's their job they just wrote the music they just wrote the song and they found a band or a performer to to throw it in front of and it got famous and you know, they could just rake in money and then keep writing more songs. Whereas you got yeah, the Beatles and Bobby Dylan and all these other folks who were writing their own original songs and kind of flipped the music industry and popular music on its head.
0: Okay. Yeah, and also you're talking about um the resurgence of psychedelic music. Why is that or how's that when did that happen? Um so there there were some there were a few early bands, like bands in their early 2000s
2: that were playing it but they were mostly underground i would say it came it, it, the big explosion of it came with um, Tame Impala which is a band out of um, Melbourne Australia um, and he you know popularized the style of music it's got a lot of beatles influence as well as a lot of other sounds that were very unique to their to their music environment from the 10 years prior and got huge international fame. And suddenly there was this huge renewed interest in making more psychedelic music. You get a huge explosion
1: of bands in Australia and in the States uh, afterwards. Um, and also in Australia, right the so, equivalent of the National Endowment of the Arts has really been very active in supporting the musician and the independent musician scene there. So you're seeing this big... Confluence of bands coming out of Australia that are psychedelic in nature, like uh, Tame Impala, King Gizzard, um, also be Pond, Pond, yeah, Pond, who was Tame
2: Paula's old band before he went started a solo project. Um, I had to go. They got my Spotify library to, to name them. I don't know if you would have heard of any of them, necessarily. But there's a there's a whole there's a whole psychedelic explosion that happened there, and a similar scene that happened in the states. All over. So a lot, a lot of bands from New York, a lot of bands from Austin, Texas, a lot of bands from California.
1: Uh, it also might be an offshoot of the whole jam band scene. Grateful Dead. Beat no, Fish, I was, not at all. There was. I'd
2: say there's really no association between them until recently. You, you are projecting, Sarah.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. But yeah, maybe because you know the history. Okay, why do you? Okay, so why do you think then? Why do you not think that that there's no association between the jam scene and? Yeah, that? because uh, Stephen, you think that is that true, and then Eric, yeah. you think it's not?
2: Um, because the jam scene is non-existent in Australia. They're like the Dead and Fish and and, um, I'm Freezing the Ghee and String Cheese Incident and Mo and Lettuce. None of them have no following in Australia, but that's where the the, kind of the first big wave of psychedelic resurgence came. I mean, again, there were bands that started before Tame Impala in, in the States and in Australia, but the popularity of Tame Impala led to popularity for all those other bands.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, some people criticize the music business because, um you know, that's another thing that books have been written about in documentaries, because there used to be more of a local scene in different places, especially in the U.S. And now it's like the person has to break. They have to make it na- um, internationally or nationally. And also yeah. online has no boundaries. But you're talking about something that came out of a certain area in Australia. It's 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 uh, Melbourne specifically because,
2: you know, they had they had like a local artist program, which was which was music and fine arts and you know, before like, I think like theater performance and stuff. So a lot of bands were, were supported on this. And there is a huge, there is a huge local music scene there in, in Melbourne. They play a lot of, you know, all those bands would play a lot of shows there. Um, There is, there is like a resurgence a little bit in, in local music scenes. and, And again, in a very, very few pockets in the country. There's a lot of stuff still in New York city. There's a lot of stuff in Los Angeles. There's a lot of stuff in Austin, Texas. Colorado. Uh, yeah, I would say, like, Denver, Boulder uh, has, a, has a huge local music scene.
0: Because people nowadays, I mean, do they want to get out? I'm not talking, this has nothing to do with the um, pandemic, but are people motivated to get out anymore, to actually see something live and see physical people? Because I feel like society has changed in such a way that people are behind their screens or behind their phones. I feel like maybe going to, like, going out to
2: bars or, like, Meeting people like at church or whatever is not. necessarily mean, people do a lot, but I've been to a lot of concerts now post pandemic, and people were definitely itching to go back to live music. So it was, it was not necessarily like they want to do because they want to be among the people. They want to go see the bands.
1: But we'll just look at the concert calendar and there are shows at Wrigley Field, shows at the United Center, shows at Huntington. You know, here in Chicago, uh, I you know I don't know if they're selling out, but they are certainly. I, I would agree. There, 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 there was this post pandemic desire to go out and see some live music. I I would feel absolutely
0: that I, I was I was right there. But I but I can see with, the, you know, the blockbusters. But I'm just talking about the more obscure bands, yeah. so the bands that are starting out or more um, regional. Are people still motivated to see a small, in a small venue? Well, the, the, I guess define small venue. Like, do you mean 200 people? Like 100 people or something. Or 200 people, yeah. Like
2: 100, 200, that's still very much like local bands, you yeah. know in bands with like cult, you know, very small cult followings. But, um, Man, I, I've, been to, I've been to a handful of shows for, for bands at like, you know, 600, 700 person theaters, and it was still like, you know, sold out. So, there again, even if even the bands who are smaller still have enough of a following that, like, again, they'll draw a crowd in major cities. I mean, we
1: went to Shuba's, we saw Mama Larky and about four other bands, and uh, 150 people.
2: I saw a band called The Nude Party at Lincoln Hall. Which was, I think, that's maybe like three hundred fifty people, but it was again sold out and very enthusiastic crowd.
1: But it's it's easier in some ways. It's easier for bands to attract a following because you you know you've got uh, all the different social media yeah. channels. Yeah, you, know, you got TikTok, and there are so many ways that bands can attract followers. And then and then probably the harder part is just putting together the logistics of a tour. Yeah,
2: you don't have to be a regional band anymore because you, you don't have to like. You don't have to like be a huge breakout hit and sell out arenas just to be successful because if you if you're a band from from New York, you could maybe you've got fans in Chicago who found out about you from another from another music group.
0: Yeah. And then uh, what do you think makes a band popular? How come there are some really good bands or some you know, even for media outlets like, you know, online radio station or whatever. And there's some really popular bands and um but there are some bands that are really good, but they don't get the they don't get the listeners. Well,
1: one of the things that can really make a band, you know, and, and certainly give them big exposures, they get on a playlist, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother long right. conversation, but that still begets fans when you're traveling,
2: right? Well, there's there's still a difference between people who are fans of a band for a single song they know versus people who are fans because they like the entire discography um and i would i would honestly just say that it's a lot of it's a lot of factors and a lot of dumb luck uh that can lead to a band
1: being huge um some of it's just a lot of legwork um and nothing you know, there, replaces the old fashioned you still have to write songs or pick good songs you have to practice a lot and you have to be good at concert if you go you do a show and you stick up the joint. You're you're not going to be long. <laughs> your careers is not going to be very long. Yeah. But if but if you put on
2: a good show, then all the fans will go online and say, "Hey, I just saw this band. They they were awesome live. You should go see them." There's a is there are quite a few bands that I've been, gone to see on word of mouth from people I've talked to online.
0: Now, do um do uh, special effects and so forth work for you in a concert, or is it more the music? Um. It's more the music. The special
2: effects is more of like an add on. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a way to make the show like enhancement. Y- yeah. It's it's it, it can make the show unique, but it's not the selling point of the show. You know, I'm not here to see fireworks and and flame throwers. I'm here to listen to music.
0: Yeah, because I think about, you know, the superstars who are touring the world like Taylor Swift and people say it was really an incredible show. And I and I watched some stuff online and I'm like, well, it's probably incredible because she created this vibe with, the entire effects and everything it was like a big party
1: yeah you know that that's quite a quite a production I, I i i can't say that i've attended any any of those things that's you know right now with you know with limited dollars or with what i have at my disposal and i tell people this i would rather go and see five bands playing in small clubs or medium sized venues for 25 or 50 bucks than to go spend several hundred dollars to go see the rolling stones or taylor swift um because, you know, I'd much rather see a band that's going to just play their butts off for three hours and and it not
0: cost me an arm and a leg. Yeah, somebody was telling me that's how Bruce Springsteen used to be several years ago. Did you ever go to his early concerts? I went to,
1: I saw Springsteen in 1980 and then I saw Springsteen in Milwaukee in, in the spring. Okay, so what was the difference between seeing them, you know, in those years? Well, I, I thought it was, I thought I still thought it was a great show. Yeah, he doesn't go run out into the audience anymore and he doesn't tell the the little stories that he used to tell but uh the the band is tight He's still got you know several of his original members and um it was a great show i paid more than i really cared to but uh my wife had never seen springsteen so i figured this was a you know an opportunity who knows the biggest thing with me is seeing these old guys i just saw um i just saw recently buddy guy and george benson is how long are some of these people going to be around i'm i've got to the point where I'm basically looking at my list of, of artists I haven't seen and trying to cross them off while while
0: they're still alive. Now, what kind of uh, social media do you guys use? Like, uh, what's effective for you? Facebook, because we got a lot of older listeners. Yeah. <laughs> well, our our, <laughs> our marketing is mostly
2: through Facebook and through like YouTube, but yeah, so, again, because our primary audience are going to be baby boomers. Yeah, who are very responsive to the message of Do you miss radio the way it used to be? You miss the old school presentation,
1: which makes it harder to go viral. But at the same time, there's a loyalty there yeah. that you don't see in some of these other social
2: and, outlets, and not and not necessarily in most of my contemporaries. Most of my most of my cohort, the one you know, the people who dig dig cool music, the, you know, people who are who are hip with it, are very much in the minority amongst millennials. Okay, so I'm so you're not a baby boomer,
0: I'm assuming, uh, Eric. No, no, he's a millennial. Oh, okay, so yeah, millennials are re- really uh, into talking about themselves, um, analyzing. But what do you think, like, what are millennials going for? I mean, what's the attraction for them? Do you mean generally or do you mean with, presenting millennials yeah, specifically? Yeah, like, like music stuff. I mean, because you're saying that you're appealing to baby boomers. Actually, by the way... A lot of people underestimate baby boomers. I've met a lot of millionaires like and you'd look at them and they would never even nobody would know they're millionaires because they're so down to earth. They're like maybe former hippies or whatever. But baby boomers have a lot of money. So it's a good thing you're going for that. But my generation sure does. not Well, I don't think they did a long time ago, but they've made some great decisions in life. That's all I got to say. Oh,
2: I can't speak as to what 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 appeals to my generation as a whole because i don't understand most of them.
0: Really? Uh, why? Okay, why is that? I want to know cuz i'm not a millennial,
2: so i mean if, if i knew why they liked the popular music that they do, then we'd be we'd be we'd have a million subscribers and we'd be playing terrible music. Right. And we're playing really awesome music for a dedicated but small cadre of listeners. Um as far as like what what people who do who what people my age are who are interested in the kind of music we present, there's definitely like a subset of millennials who have the, oh, I wish I could have seen Woodstock. Oh, I wish I could have seen, you know, Led Zeppelin when they were touring, or The Doors, you know, or, you know, like there's there's a whole, but there's a whole bunch of like millennial Grateful Dead fans who are like, I wish I could have seen Jerry.
0: Um, I saw his last concert, by the way, at Soldier Field. Yes, yeah, so I, but you know, it's interesting. Oh, we were there together, okay. From an outside looking in, yeah, I
1: would say, and I'm painting broad brushstrokes because obviously there's so many subtle differences, but I think compared, his sister is also millennial and she is very different. She's very sort of all pop oriented. And I think that it's a lot of living in the moment because if I asked her today, what artist she's listening to and I ask her four months from now, uh, it's, it's going to be going to be a little different. Versus, versus and a lot of the, like, I'm always adding
0: new stuff
2: there are very few artists or songs that I've cycled out of regular rotation. I'm, you know, uh, my interest in in like music as more than just a passive consumer started when I was about 12 you know, he'd always be playing like The Drive or whatever else when he was taking us to and from school or, or a synagogue or whatever. Um, and I just picked up the saxophone in band and then he was playing the radio and uh, Steely Dan's Deacon Blues came on and the, the tenor sax solo really caught my ear and I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is more than just usual stuff I'm listening to. Give give me more. And so I consumed all, like, all of Steely Dance discography and this, okay, what else you got? And then I got, you know I, you know, I was raised on The Beatles a little bit from my mom, but it was all like their pop hits, their biggest stuff. Then I started like diving into The Beatles and diving into Led Zeppelin and U2 and... Um, I could have been happier. Yeah. And uh, Pink Floyd and, and you know... Um, all this other stuff, and then I started to really take an, uh, an ear to the psychedelic and the progressive stuff. I really liked all the orchestrations and the prog rock. So I got given to Moody Blues and Jethro Tull and Genesis and yes, and those are still in regular rotation stuff that I listen to. Um, the idea is that you know I always want to add more stuff to my library and make it broader. You know, carry all these tunes with me, um, and so I think the appeal to to my generation is that they hear all this. All this old music, and they and they there's this kind of this like nostalgia for a time you weren't around in vibe. Like, why isn't there music like this being made today? And so our mission is to try to say there is. We've got it. Come listen to it. We'll play the new stuff along with the old stuff. So that's how we're trying to reach out to people my age.
1: And ironically, I tend to scour all the press releases I get from publicists uh, touting new bands to see if I can find the next Jethro Tull, you know, or the next Moody Blues. Um, But I still listen to a lot of that stuff. What's been interesting to me is because the record companies are starving for material and trying to get more out there, they've gone back into the vaults and they find all these demos and live recordings and alternate takes of things. And I find it, I almost feel like an archaeologist. I love sort of looking through that, finding early versions of different songs and things.
2: Or being able to hear, you know, banter between the members when they're like, they'll do, you know, a minute of a song.
1: Oh, I think it should be this way. And so let's try it. Different. That's exciting. That's what's so cool about watching the Get Back documentary on the Beatles because they're sitting there composing these songs, and I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't sound like that. And then you, you know, you realize it's embryonic versions of yeah. all the different songs from Let It Be, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Well, no, but it, what are you saying? Like your commentary about uh, modern music, Eric. Um, are you saying that it's not as uh, lyric oriented? Because I think there's a lot of very interesting modern music, but maybe that's from the production side.
2: Oh no, it is still very lyrically oriented. I was just, I was just saying that, that um, for the for the people like me who 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 have discovered all this old music and been digging through, uh, you know, all these tracks that have aged very well over fifty years, and saying why isn't there more stuff like this out today? There is it's it's you know just as interesting there's just, just as lyrically meaningful uh but it's not on popular radio you know they they don't necessarily wish that they were alive in 1970 they wish that the music that that is around now that is like the music from back from back in the 1970s was also the top 40.
0: yeah and
2: it's not and like there are very few with very few exceptions it's never going to be like tame impala and arctic monkeys and maybe like any of Jack White's stuff can occasionally bust into popular radio, but for the most part, it's rock and roll. Is you know, it's not dead,
1: but it's very underground. What's kind of That's funny. Right. when I think about it: what was a top forty radio when I was in high school? You know, top forty radio was Led Zeppelin, Jethro Tull, Fleetwood Mac, Jackson Brown. I mean, these were all, and and this was you know top forty. Now it's also homogenized. You know, you've got. You know, uh, rap and hip hop, and you've got all the Taylor Swift stuff and pop rock, pop music, or you've got like there, there's so many different genres now that comprise the radio. It's so so different from the way it was 40 years ago.
0: Well, somebody was saying, you know, somebody I just interviewed live stream, he said that um, you know, big band. Okay, so we used to hear big band, and we're like, okay, what's up with that? That old music, and and he was suggesting that maybe rock is becoming like that now, like rock. What's up with this? You know it's maybe going. it's already peaked, I think it seems um, in terms', in terms of, pop- of popular yeah i I think it would take a lot to bring it
2: back. I think part of what made what made rock is big was that it was this it was it was it was this youthful format it was you know it was new, it was explosive. it was constantly trying all these new things, and it was tied into like the counterculture movement um there were there was like a a um it it was in the public conscious it was speaking about stuff going on at the times uh and really like nothing else was doing it at a time when all the other like popular stuff was all you know love songs and stuff here you are all these people singing about you know like anti-war songs or you know like women's liberation songs or you know like you know racial equality all this other stuff that was very poignant and powerful and tied into what's going on in the world um, you got other people who do that nowadays, but the novelty, I think, has worn off. And this rebelliousness and youthfulness of rock uh, image has been kind of wiped away. Like you saw it come back a little bit, a couple of times, like with punk in the 80s and the youthfulness came back and then grunge in the 90s and alternative and and the youthfulness came back. Uh, and there's really nothing that's done it since since grunge, the, this whole idea that like rock can be like the music of the youth. Because right now that's it's all the it's the indie, it's the hip hop, you know, a lot of a lot of the you know pop will always be pop. Um but like rock and roll uh, something else drastically changes is not you know the music of the general youth anymore. It's still it's very niche. But yeah, I say f- rock stars are aging out of their out of their, well, their old days, the old rock and- stars are there's still plenty right. there's still plenty of young rock stars making cool new rock and roll music, but they're not they're they're not like selling out stadiums. They're not getting their music licensed
1: to film. Um, they're a lot more hip. Well, and again, who, who, who were the newsmakers back in those days? The rock stars and the movie stars. Now you've got reality stars, you've got, you know, you've got uh, TikTok stars, you've got so many different places that people can get notoriety, but it's just as fleeting. And uh, yeah, at the same time, you know, Mick Jagger does something, it's not news, but you know, back in the day,
0: John Lennon would say something, it was headline news. Yeah, what do you think about that? When, you know, media used to be fewer outlets and now there's all this other stuff going on. It's the
1: same same thing. You're taking the same audience and you're scattering them over fewer, you know, more and more outlets. You're creating news bubbles. (laughs) Where where, where, where people's
2: perceptions, you know, are are more disjointed from reality than than ever. Uh, there's There's something to be said for like, because there's so much media, it means that it's a lot easier for like small stories to get out because you don't have to like be gated by ABC, NBC, CBS. Uh, You you can publish stuff online. You can send it to people very easily, but it can also get lost in a sea of noise. Or again, you could have stories that just don't reach people because the the media bubble they live in doesn't touch on that, which you could probably also extend that to music. If you only listen to hip hop, you're you're gonna have no idea that there's this huge psychedelic rock scene. I would have no idea about all the like hundred different subgenres of of rap or of of heavy metal stuff if I didn't have friends who also listens to it.
1: The best thing about the internet, you know, broadly speaking, is the fact that you're not um, dependent on the local music scene because, especially if you've got a, a very niche product, you, you might not find a big enough audience locally. But now, you know, there's no geographic limits to where you can be heard. So if you get in with the right crowd, or you get somebody to support you who's got a bigger following, um, that's that's the ticket. And so it's 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 a good thing I think because you're and it helps us because if I wanted to put on a psychedelic radio station even in a market the size of Chicago, there's no guarantee that it would fly. But when I'm when we're listened when we're heard in 120 130 different countries, um, it's a boom. Now what do you, what do you think the future is of radio and of what you're doing? Well, I think that the future of terrestrial radio is going to be a far more interesting thing to watch because, as you know, a station's audience is measured in ratings. Ratings are created by an entity called Arbitron, which was bought by Nielsen, which is basically an extrapolation of they take a small subset of about 2,000 people, we presume them to be um, representative of what the audience is in that city, and we're going to ask them to say what they listen to. And I would bet, I would absolutely venture to guess that if you went in there and you really measured it to see how accurate it was, it would be highly inaccurate and the listenership would be far less. And the unfortunate thing is some of these stations would implode because they would never be able to justify what they charge for advertising because their audiences are probably, oh, anywhere from a third to a half of what they think it is. And every time somebody buys a new car that has, uh, USB plug, Bluetooth, or satellite radio, it's one less person who's likely to be listening yeah. to terrestrial radio. No one my age that I know listens to terrestrial
2: radio unless there are no other options. Um, so I, I think that the days are numbered. Uh, the future of radio is going to be doing what we do online, which is creating well, yeah. a format and finding an audience.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of stations are online now.
2: Well, right. There's simulcasting online. But I think it's yeah. at some point at some point the audience for for like, you know, analog broadcast radio that comes in on a on an actual receiver is is limited. And it's at some point like it's not going to be worth it to, to keep those stations on the air. Or rather, it's it's going to be more valuable to use that frequency band for other like
1: near field stuff. It's going to get going to get eaten up by other communications projects the terrestrial radio is mostly beneficial especially AM radio which is definitely on the on thin ice in a time of emergency because that's when people want to tune in and they need that local information but so much of every of information now is global you know where we're looking at what's going on in Russia or Ukraine or what's happening out in California why and so the, the the focus is 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 local regional national and global
0: yeah, but also at the same time, though you do have the um, issues with tech anyway, because you know you could have the buffer. I mean, you know, when you're streaming, you're buffering, and if you have only one kind of way to deliver content, it could be challenging. Yeah, well, it's that that's that's a that's
2: that's a problem of uh, I guess you know storage and localization. If we if we just create redundancy and we put a backup of our station out in the cloud or in another physical location, then we got backup and storage is so readily available and inexpensive these days. Bandwidth is pretty inexpensive these days that, you know, that's, that's a, that's a very solvable problem. Whereas radio has the unsolvable problem of our audience has
1: a limited lifespan.
0: Yeah. You know, and
1: it went up and there's no replacement. And when I look at where people are listening right now to acid flashback, Wyoming, Texas, New York, Florida, California, Minnesota, Iowa, um, a lot of times we get a lot of, of UK. Uh, we've I've had uh, Brazil. So people are listening all over, which is kind of a neat thing to think about. That somebody could be down in Rio de Janeiro listening to my station.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. And speaking of being somewhere else, um, what's up with you're from North Carolina? Yes. And you know, a lot of it seems like a lot of people are leaving our area and moving down there because supposedly it's better.
1: Well, Asheville, which used to be just a little. Town that was only known for the Biltmore House, the Biltmore Estates, and as far as just mountain air, has become a haven for um, hippies that want to relocate from from other places. So I mean, people move here because property taxes are insane. I, I've had I've had at least a half a dozen friends move to North Carolina or South Carolina
0: in the last five or six years. But you're on the north shore, right? You said Lake Forest. Yeah, right. We're just, we're Lake Bluff, which is right next okay. to Lake Forest in Libertyville. Well, yeah. So you're not in a te- cheap tax area. So,
1: oh, we're still in the high tax district.
0: Right. I know. I'm being sorry. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is, uh, yeah, your area, of course, people in your area would think that because your area is more higher tax than, let's say, McHenry County or something. So, right. But, okay. So, wh- when did you come up here? I moved to Chicago in late 1986. And w- so, what do you think of it? Like, do you, w- do you understand why people are moving down there? I understand why people are moving down there. Uh, you know,
1: you get more house, you you have more open space. But you know, I, the politics I've, I've never really agree with. So I said, well, would you ever come back here? And I go, no, I don't think so. Huh. Um, you know, people. What's what's really unique about Chicago is, and they told me this when I got here, and it's absolutely true. Chicago has it's a big city with a smaller town mindset. People are so friendly. If you go walk down the street of New York, nobody makes eye contact. Nobody looks at each other here. You walk down the street, you make eye contact with somebody, they'll say, Hey, hi, how are you? I mean, that's so unique for a, a large metropolitan area.
0: Yeah, because I actually live in downtown Chicago, I lived in the city for many years, and I have small talk with strangers. Like we'll be in an elevator, like, yeah, it's really cool. Oh, like your dog, you know, and people just chat and it's very friendly here, I think.
1: Yeah, that's a that's, that's a very unique Midwestern Chicago thing. But that's I think what I one of the things I really no, like about it. I've seen it. all over the Midwest, but you know. Yeah. That so holds true in a city that is this large and this diverse is pretty astounding and impressive. And now, with the fact that there, you know, with this climate change, I'm sort of rethinking. My, my, I was like, always, well, maybe I'll go retire to California, Arizona, or Colorado. And well, let's see, I live a mile from the largest body of fresh water in North America. Um, the winters have gotten milder. The summers have gotten a little
2: hotter, yeah, but it's our the- first real heat wave all summer. Otherwise, we've been it's been very pleasant. We've had a
0: great summer, and also we have access to so much water. I mean, I've 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 had a lot of water today, and there's no limit to it. Whereas in other places, there's a limit.
2: Oh yeah, when when the water wars start, Chicago is going to be looking pretty nice.
0: <laughs> but anything else you guys would like to say?
1: Um, I mean. Well we, we want to invite people to check out yeah, our app check. because it's you can you can get it for free for 14 days. And what's your app, app? can you say it? It? you can listen you can
2: get it for free indefinitely. If you want to if you want to come support us and see the additional features and get all the bells and whistles, you can try out the subscription tier for 14 days before you decide to commit to it. You don't have to slap a credit card on there just to get it. It, it comes for free with a registration uh and you know try out all the different stations find find the ones that click with you tell us you know which stations you liked um and then you know what 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 you think it what what do you think it's missing or like what format you would like to hear if there's any songs you want to hear we can put them on for you um also come you know tell us like what's your new music experience like how are you still discovering new new music today um and in turn you know i would i would love to share some of the stuff i've discovered with any of your listeners i can link a handful of playlists or like give some artists and album suggestions, I, mean, I would love to staple that on. To me, that's always a good conversation starters. Who are you listening to? You know, what's their what's the, what's their hip album? You know, what's the last cool concert you went to?
1: And for anybody who's my age, you know, old geezers like me, uh, you know, if you remember what radio used to be like back in the days, whether it was WLS here in Chicago, whether it was WNEW in New York or any of the great stations out on the West Coast where the DJs were personalities, where the music was really inventive, was creative. A lot of you know new artists at the same time. You know, just being able to delve deeper into your favorite artists. I, I I want you to listen to my station or any of our other stations and find a song that you have not heard since you were in high school or college or something that maybe reminds you when you were when you're first out in the wor- in the working world. Yeah, have that aha moment. That's what I'm trying to get. And I promise you, you're just not going to find that with a lot of these traditional over the air radio stations.
0: Okay. So what's your app? What's it called? Internet FM.
1: And it's all one word. It's on the it's in the app store and it's also on Google Play. Or you go to our website if you want to see a little more internetfm.com. Okay. And then I'll put that up in the description. So and also uh, for for those of you if you're a good avid reader, go get Margaret's book, Wicker Park Wishes <laughs> Story that took place in the nineties. Right. I was thinking about you because we were just out at Peace Pizza and a couple other places in Wicker Park, and I was telling them about how your book uh, takes place in a very different Wicker Park than yeah. today's Wicker Park.
0: Oh my gosh! I mean, Wicker Park's like North Shore now. What happened? I mean, it's so different. There's a lot of there's a lot of hit places in downtown that I would love to live in if I had the the means. Okay, so anything else?
1: No, just you know, just support your local musicians. Go out, buy their buy their vinyl, go see them in concert. Yeah. Tell people if you find a group that you really like. Yeah, tell your yeah, tell your
2: friends, share, share new and exciting music with people and you know help small artists become big artists. This as much as we want to talk about our station and our and our app and our company, this is first and foremost about the music, about the art. You know, rock and roll is underground. It shouldn't be, it should be popular everywhere, and that's not gonna happen unless you, the listener, share with your with the world your favorite bands. You know, and, and convince other people to go see them in concert. Everything we do is ultimately for the
0: artists. And if you do like what we have, please tell a couple hundred of your friends. Let me know what you think. Email me at margaret at You can also call or text me at seven one six-202-talk. That's eight two five five. And like the Radio Girl Facebook page. You can find out about who's coming up next, see pictures, listen to audio and more.